0: You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Well, hey, my name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad you are here. Uh, If you have a Bible, would you grab it and turn to John chapter 8? We're going to be there in just a moment. Uh, But as you're turning there, I want to tell you something about my my background uh, when I was sixteen years old, I had a lawn mowing business, like a little side hustle where like ten or fifteen families uh, allowed me to cut their grass really poorly i 'm sure, uh, but they let me do it, and so I would cut like one yard a day and then you know by the time you 're done with your your grass cutting list, you were ready to go back to the first people that hired you to cut their grass. And so I started making some money, and I wanted to save up for a summer camp I was going to and a couple other things. Uh, And my parents were like, you can't just keep your money under your bed. So they helped me open a bank account. So I had my first ever bank account at First Liberty National Bank. And this was like cutting edge technology time in life. And so they gave me a debit card. And I'm like, what is this debit card? It has money on this? Like, what? How do they even know? It, where it comes from, where it go, debit card, and dial-up internet was a thing. And so, like, online banking was becoming a thing. So if you had, like, two hours on a Saturday, you could check your online banking because uh, that's how long it took to check that. Um, but some, some time passed, and I had about $300 in my, in my bank account. Uh, and I was going to pay for summer camp, uh, and I was really excited about buying a, a portable CD player that had anti-skip technology. You even know about this? Portables? <laughs> you don't. You're like, what is a CD? Okay, there were these things called CDs that would skip. You don't care. Okay. <laughs> Anti-skip technology, and also, I really, really, this is, I, I'm, I'm in high school, so, so bear with me. Uh, I really wanted a Hakeem Olajuwon jersey, which uh, some of you don't know who that is. Greatest, uh, one of the best basketball players to ever play for the Houston Rockets during my time. I was, I was in Texas at the time. Uh, and so uh, I, I'm stoked. I, I'm raising some money. It's going to happen. Uh, and then one day, First Liberty National Bank calls my house uh, and I get on the phone and they're like, Mr. Martin, uh, we had a security breach in our banking uh, and someone has taken people's routing numbers uh, and they're uh, their information, and they have stolen people's identities. And so, Josh, your identity was stolen. And I'm like, whoa, what does that mean? And they're like, well, um, the people could take your information, they could go and spend all your money. And I'm like, oh, no. And so she's like, well, uh, Mr. Martin, don't don't worry, because uh, as you know, you didn't have very much money in your account. And I'm like, first off, rude. <laughs> I was going to buy a CD player and a jersey and go to camp. And she's like, what? She didn't care about that, but I, I was mad at her for, for being rude about the money. And so uh, she's like, don't worry, you have insurance, you'll get your CD player and your jersey and whatever camp you're going to, it'll be fine. And I'm like, okay, cool, but make sure that that still happens. So uh, w- what's funny about being 16 years old and getting your identity stolen is, is to some degree, it's, it's you're like, uh, haha, joke's on you, internet thief, not much money to spend. Like you go out there and swipe once and you're like, really kid, this is all you got? Like, yeah, that's all I got. Because I was very specific in my savings, and that's all I got. So uh, to to some degree, the the amount a person has uh, is obviously very much connected to how much you can steal from them. So for me, uh, I didn't have much value, therefore they couldn't take much value from me. But if the person that you're stealing from has more value, more esteem, more prestige, more influence, then you can obviously steal from them a lot More And so uh, as we go into the series identity theft, I think it's important for us to to recognize whether you go to church a lot or not, or you're religious or you're checking it out. uh, It's really hard to deny the fact that Jesus of Nazareth historically was one of the most influential people to ever live. That's just true. Uh, Historically true, psychologically true, uh, sociologically true, like people just, he has had influence. So to steal the identity of Jesus And to make it work for your own gain is is a significant thing because you could steal something, man, that has extreme value, eternal impact by messing with his identity. And you see this around Easter and Christmas every year. There's new documentaries that come out. There's new movies that come out that tell you who Jesus really was. And so like the worst of those would be like Da Vinci Code. And then you've got others like there's one on Discovery Channel right now uh, that's a little bit more legit, but it's essentially saying, who is Jesus And everybody wants to know, and and a lot of people have taken Jesus and completely hijacked his identity. And so here's how the philosophers have done it. There's a a few ways. The philosophers have stolen Jesus's identity by saying he was just a good teacher. That brother, here's what they do with Jesus. He had some compelling content. He was way ahead of his time, brilliant storyteller, crazy parables. He had some good social justice stuff. And I think he gave us like the golden rule like, man, his, his teaching was amazing, and so they just leave him there. Like, great teacher, put him down, top of the list for good teachers. They leave out a bulk of his teaching on exclusivity and those things, but that's what they do with him. The universalist comes along, and they, they, they steal Jesus' identity by saying he is simply one of the ways to God. One of the many ways. So in this picture, uh, God is a mountain. And Jesus is one of the ladders you can use to climb up the mountain to get to God. So there's a pile of ladders, and one of them has Jesus' name on it. I think it's funny for us as Northwest people who've, like, seen Mount Rainier and, like, seen a ladder. It's not, it's, like, bad. You're like, that ladder's like, oh, that's not going to work. No, it's a really dumb illustration. But nonetheless, grab the Jesus ladder, put it on the mountain, climb up, get there yourself. Uh, world religions have gone a little, bit, uh, a little bit more narrow. They said Jesus is, like, one of six ladders. Five, six, seven, eight ladders or so. Uh, he's a messenger from God. He's one of the most enlightened people to ever live, and he's among the the most significant religious leaders of history. So it'd be like if Mount Rushmore had some faces for religious people. Like Jesus would totally be up there, of like the Mount Rushmore of religious people. But he's not the only one. He's not the only one, and that's how they have taken his identity. And then cultural Christians—that's that's where we get tempted. If you come to church or have a church background, a cultural Christian would steal Jesus's identity by simply saying he is savior, but not Lord he's savior, but not Lord. And so and resonate. We make fun of this by saying this, this is kind of like the Jesus take the wheel country music, Christianity. Like, uh, Jesus, I will be driving the car. Let's get that clear, Jesus. Uh, But if, hey, if it goes bad and, like, I'm driving home from Cincinnati and my kid's in the back and this thing goes crazy, like, I need you to jump in and grab the wheel and take it from my hands because I can't do this on my own. But let's be clear, Jesus, I'm driving. Okay? And here's essentially what it looks like. It looks like this. Uh, Jesus, I'd like to identify with you, if, if that's cool but I would not like to be inconvenienced by you. Uh, Jesus, uh, here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to make every decision in my life. I'm in control, but I'm going to overlay you on top of it. After I make all my decisions, you get to like jump on uh, and kind of look good because I look good. And, And so that's the deal. And that's what we've done in cultural Christianity. So everybody has a belief. Everybody's believing something. And in John chapter 8, Jesus walks into this scene and says, hey, uh, I know you guys are like talking about me a lot because I'm a big influential figure in human history and stuff, but uh, I was just wondering if maybe I could speak for myself. Would it be cool if like I told you who I was? Would that be okay? Because like you guys have a lot of ideas and I, I think my name's like painted on a ladder or something uh, in this illustration, but could I, could I tell you who I am? And in John chapter 8, we're gonna we're gonna step right into a massive argument between a group of Pharisees, religious leaders, and Jesus where they're debating on who he is. And it is like come, like you are walking in mid-argument, like red face throwing things, kind of moment. And here we go in John chapter 8. Starting in verse 48, your chapter title may say, Jesus Claims About Himself. So, so who is he? If if we've stolen his identity and we're saying lots of things about him, can he speak for himself? And in verse 48, it says this, the people retorted, isn't that a great word? The Pharisees retorted, you Samaritan devil. I told you this was coming in hot. You Samaritan devil. Didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? No, Jesus said, I have no demon in me. For I honor my father and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. And the people say, now we, are no, now we know you're possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died. But you say, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus answered, if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. But I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to the coming. He saw it and was glad. As he looked forward to my coming, he saw it and was glad. And the people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. In a massively heated debate between the people in that time who knew the most about God, Pharisees, religious leaders, they're debating with Jesus. And Jesus makes a claim that is so blasphemous and so heretical and so ridiculous that they pick up stones and they're going to kill him on the spot. They're like, hey, I know we were just arguing a second ago, but like now you have to die. Like you've gone too far. We're killing you right now. Okay. And we're going to pick up stones and we're going to throw them at you until you're not alive anymore because you can't say what you just said. And then the Bible says uh, Jesus was just hidden from him. So I don't know if he like uses the force like, or if it's like Homer Simpson, just like show, like sneaks into the bushes, <laughs> but like Jesus is gone. He's like, I know you guys are mad, but like, you can't kill me right now. It's not the plan. I got a plan. This isn't it. But I had to tell you that. And I know it made you want to kill me, but I had to tell you. So you go, why in the world are they so mad? Like what happened that made them so mad? Well, verse 58 happened. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Abraham is like the oldest, like the father Abraham had many sons. If you have church background, like the, the, the oldest of the oldest one who started the whole line of Israel. And so what made them so mad is this. In this moment, in verse 58, Jesus took on God's holy, personal, intimate, unspeakable name as his own name. Jesus took on this this profoundly unspeakable name and said, actually, that is my name. And so in Hebrew, this name that we're talking about is a name spelled with four letters. Y-H-W-H, pronounced Yahweh, Yahweh. And the Jews came to regard this word and this name with such reverence that they would never even take it upon their lips, lest they inadvertently take the name in vain, so whenever this name comes up in the Bible and you're reading it, they would have pronounced it Adonai, Adonai, which means my Lord. And so in the English versions, we've basically followed that same pattern to where now when the word Yahweh was used in the Hebrew, we, we put the words the Lord in all caps. So if you're reading the Old Testament, you see the word the Lord in all caps. That's, that's the word Yahweh. And so the Yahweh is God's proper name in Hebrew, And the importance of this can be seen in the sheer frequency of its use. 6,828 times God refers to himself as Yahweh. More than three times the other uh, names, which would be like Elohim or El. And here's what the commentators say about this. What happens here? What the name Yahweh shows is God aims to be known not as a generic deity, but as a specific person with a name that carries his unique character and mission. I'm not generic. I'm not random. I'm not just one of the gods. Here's my name. Here's my character. Here's my mission. This is how you should know me. And this is most clearly and profoundly seen in Exodus chapter three, when Moses is told by God, Hey, go to Pharaoh. Cause all of Israel is slaved by Pharaoh. Go to Pharaoh. Tell him, let my people go. And Moses looks at God and he says, how am I going to tell your people who I am? Like, how do I tell them You sent me like, what what if they ask your name? What what does that look like? And so in Exodus chapter three, verse 13, you see this Yahweh, this I am uh, get really clearly unpacked. So if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, and remember that's the exchange of Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, uh, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So notice what's happening in this text. Verse 14, God says, I am who I am. Verse 14 goes on to say, tell them I am sent you. Verse 15 goes on to say, tell them Yahweh sent me. And this is my name forever. So what happens in here is Yahweh and I am are interchangeable. I am has sent me to you. Yahweh has sent me to you. There's an interchangeability here. So what God is doing here is really showing the personal meaning of his name to Moses to reveal who he is in a way that's never been before seen. And this is the primary way that the Old Testament talks about God going forward, names God going forward. And this is a massive moment. This is a massive moment. Because what, what does it mean to look at God and to say, tell me your name, tell me who you are, and for God to look back at you and say, I am who I am. God, tell me your name, like, who are you? And his response, his name, his personal intimate name is, I am who I am. And that's why this was unspeakable, this is why this is unheard of, this is why this is a big deal, and they pick up rocks and they want to throw them at Jesus, because inside the name, I am who I am, are implications that the Pharisees are radically uncomfortable with. There are implications in the name, I am who I am, that Jesus is now identified with that can't be. They're blasphemous. They're heretical. There's like no way you can say that about yourself. And here are those implications. When when God says his name, here's what he's saying. The the name Yahweh, here's here's what it means. If you say, God, what's your name? My name's Yahweh. Then here are the implications of what that means. If God were to say to us, this is my name, and here's what it means. He would say to us, my name means, number one, I exist. I exist. And I know many of you are like, whoa, like I came to church and like brought my friend, and like the pastor got on stage and was like, God exists. <laughs> yes. No, I, I didn't say God exists. I said he revealed his name to have birthed in the name. The understanding and expectation that He exists, the implication that he exists. So here uh, some commentators translated "I am." Some other people translate it. If you take the Hebrew Yahweh and try to translate it to English, it would translate in the words "to be, to be." So God's not just saying, "I am." He's saying, "I am what it means to be. I am ultimate reality." I have no other way of telling you who I am outside of the fact of saying you exist because I exist. Creation happened because I created, I am what it means to be. And that is implied in my very name. And so that goes further. What else is implied in the name? Uh, His name implies that, that God would say to us, no reality exists behind me. No reality exists behind me. So God's personality, God's power, God's character are owed solely to himself and no other. So so stay with me. You ready? We're about to use some mental calories. You got some mental calories? You ready? They're about to burn. About to burn some mental calories. Here we go. Picture with me for a moment. Before there was an earth, before there was a solar system, before there were galaxies, before there was a universe at all. So push back in your imagination to when there was only God. And then if you can, push back further than that and ask the question, God, how did you get to be? Push back further than that. How did you get to be, God? Because if you were to ask me that question, Josh, how did you get to be? I'd tell you about my mom. I'd tell you about my dad. I'd tell you about the genes that were passed on to me. I'd tell you about how they raised me. I'd tell you about all the influences in my life that made me to be who I am. I'd tell you about where I grew up and how that led me to be this way and all the beliefs I have and all the thoughts I have. and, And all of those things would point to who I am. And when you do this for God, Here's what happens. Here's how one guy explains it. When you try to get behind God and ask those questions, here would be God's response. Nobody gave me my set of genes. Nobody and no power brought me into existence and shaped my personality because I had no beginning. There was no reality outside of myself that did not come from me. And so there is no force or influence upon my character and my power except what comes from me and is controlled by me. I am utterly absolute. Behind me, there is no reality. You're like, like what? Like, I know many of you are like, Josh, could you read that again? And many of you are like, no, 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 just move on. Like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Like our capacity for mystery is really maxed out in this moment. Like our capacity to understand this is really maxed out in this moment. I read one pastor who explained it like this. He said this, he said, asking God, God, why are you the way you are? Is like asking me, when are you going to stop beating your wife? It's an unanswerable question because it assumes a state of affairs that do not exist. I am not beating my wife and so I cannot stop doing something I'm not doing. If there is nothing behind or outside of God that could answer this question, then God, why are you the way you are? He he would say, you're asking me a state of something that doesn't exist. The the utterly self-determined character of an everlasting God is the end point of all of our questions. There comes a point when you stand face to face with absolute reality and realize that he simply is who he is. So when you look at God and go, tell me your name, he's like, oh, my name, uh, I am who I am. That's the best I got for you. I'm what it means to be. I exist. No reality exists behind me. And because those things are true, it gets a little closer to us. God looks at us and says, Because of that, I do not change. I do not change. The third implication of the name, I am who I am, means he's he's an unchanging God. In the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6, God says, I, Yahweh, do not change. In the book of James, James tries to clarify this by saying, within God, there is no variation or shadow due to change. The book of Hebrews chapter 13 says, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So listen, if if God is not determined by any forces outside of him, then he is not subject to change like we are. So people change their mind because of unforeseen circumstances or weak resolutions. So I didn't see that coming or turns out my will wasn't strong enough for that. So I'm going to change, but God foresees all circumstances and has no weakness. So nothing in all creation takes him off guard and backs him into a corner where he might have to act out of character to compromise his integrity. So, so here's again, mental calories. Stay with me. Here's what that means. It means his absolute name, Yahweh. I am who I am is the granite, foundation of our confidence in His ongoing faithfulness. His name is the granite foundation of His ongoing faithfulness because He's not going to change because of what year it is and how loud we yell what year it is. It's 2019. Get this figured out already. Uh, do you know how old I am, God says? Like, it's 2019 is like NBD to me, right? Like, I don't change. Uh, I, I am Everlasting. I am before time, I am in time, I am outside of time. Like your your mental ability to deal with this mystery is going to frustrate you in this moment and you just keep yelling how loudly you want, what year it is, but that doesn't affect me. And so then he goes even further, like you can see I exist, nothing exists outside of me, nothing was behind me, I, I don't change. Then he goes further, God looks at us and he says, therefore, you must conform to me, not me to you. You must conform to me, not me to you. Just as children must conform to their parents, not parents to their children. Just as players should learn their moves from their coach, not the coach from the players. Just as a soldier should learn the strategy from the general and not the general from the soldiers, then surely it is plain that creatures should learn and conform all of their lives to the will of their creator. Now listen, I know many of us, Uh, are, are struggling with this. I know that in the world we live in, a vast majority of God's creatures are doing their own thing with little to no thought of conforming their lives to the daily will and character of an absolute God. And I know many people, when they think about God, they go, no, 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 he needs to conform to me. Like God doesn't understand my circumstances. And we start to make God in our own image. But listen, if God simply is who he is and not who we make him out to be, then it is we who must conform to God, not God conforming to us. So He exists. Nothing exists behind Him. He doesn't change. We must conform to Him, not Him to us. And then you go, Josh, why did you just put me through all that? Here's why I put you through all that. You ready? Because John chapter 8 puts you through all that. Here's why. Because then God would look at us, Yahweh would look at us and say, I have drawn near to you in Jesus Christ. I have drawn near to you in Jesus Christ. And that's what sounds blasphemous and heretical in John chapter 8, because it is not possible for Jesus to have taken a more exalted words on his lips. When Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am, he took all of the majestic truth of the name of God and then proclaimed to the people that is now wrapped in flesh and standing in front of you, looking in your face. The God who existed. The God who doesn't change, the God who has nothing behind him, the God you must conform to is me, Jesus says. And I was before Abraham and and this is unreal. These people can't go there. Uh, But you see the rest of the Bible start to affirm this and clarify this. Uh, In Colossians chapter one, the apostle Paul says this about Jesus. And by the apostle Paul, I mean like the Holy Spirit of God through the apostle Paul without error says this about Jesus. In chapter one, Jesus, the son, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The Bible just said Jesus created the world. Did you catch that? Verse 17. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Not only did Jesus create the world, he's now sustaining the world. Okay, cool. And he's the head of the body of the church, and he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So, hey, Jesus, were you before Abraham? Yes, I have supremacy over Abraham. I actually know him because I created him. Thanks for bringing up Abraham. Cool dude. I wired him. No big deal, right? For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, for the things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All of that to say that Jesus is claiming his authority as the creator level authority. And if Jesus is the authority and if Jesus is the creator, here's what that means for us. It means that when you read his teachings, And when you hear him teach, he is not offering you a suggestion. He's not offering you something that might be a little better that you should kick around and try on for size. Jesus is not suggesting something when he teaches. He's not saying, consider this. When Jesus teaches, he is inviting you into life. He's inviting you into life because he created you and he knows you and he sustains all things. And he wired you to be who you are. So we can't just simply say he's a good teacher. He's one of the ways he's a prophet. He's savior, uh, uh, but he's not my Lord. No, no, no. He, he's the one that designed it all. He's the one that knows it all. And so when he, when he teaches something, he's actually showing us how to flourish in this life. And if you go, Oh, I don't agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Like I disagree with Jesus all the time. J- you just need to lose. Like Luke, you'll read the Bible and like, I don't like that. Learn to lose the battle and quit putting yourself above the word of God and go, I don't like that. But Jesus, you're the authority. You're the great I am. So teach me how to live because you're inviting me into life with this command. You're not withholding from me. You're not hurting me. You know me. You love me. You want good for me. You're inviting me into life. That's what Jesus is doing with his teaching. So because this is true, because Jesus is the great I am, that means he has defining rights over our lives. If Jesus is the great I am, because he's the great I am, that means he has defining rights over our lives. And this is the moment that Jesus becomes a major problem for all of us. A major problem for all of us. And he becomes a major problem for all of us Because if you really try to engage Jesus, it will not take long before Jesus confronts your most deeply held private belief. It will not take long. You see this in his life. He meets the woman at the well in John chapter four. They start talking about water. Then it turns to worship. And he says, hey, go, go get your husband. Let's keep this conversation going. She's like, actually, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, I know. Like you have four husbands and the guy you're with now is not your husband. I kind of like created the whole world and stuff. Like I know what's going on in your world. Um, and he goes after a deeply held private belief. He's like, hey, if we can talk about that thing, we can get healed up. There's a story where he engages with someone called the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes up probably with an entourage. He's like, Jesus, I keep all the commands. Like, what must I do to be saved? Jesus looks at this brother and says, sell everything you own and give it to the poor. And the rich young ruler is like, whoa, that seems a little strong. Like I was just kind of hoping to add you to my entourage and like add you to my resume because I kind of have a good thing going here. So is Jesus saying all of us need to sell everything we own and give it to the poor? no. He's looking at the rich young ruler and saying, I'm going to go ahead and speed this thing up and go after your most deeply held private belief, which is you think you're the true rich young ruler. But actually Jesus is saying, I'm actually the real rich young ruler. And so if you want to follow me, sell everything you own and give it to the poor. And it's in that moment when you and I have that moment with Jesus, we get to answer the question, do we actually want him as Lord or do we just want to be identified with him but not inconvenienced by him? Sell everything you want and give it to the poor is radically inconvenient. But listen to me, resonate. That's an invitation into life. And the rich young ruler missed it. Because he's like, oh, that's something to consider. No, it's not to be considered when you're talking to the authority. It's an invitation into life, and you missed it. But you see it in another story with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who had ripped off his people and been exiled by his people, and Jesus goes and has dinner at his house, and Zacchaeus finds himself in a place like, what do I gotta do to be saved? He's like, you got to pay back the debts. And Zacchaeus is like, I'm in. I'll pay back anybody, anything I own times two. I'll pay back it all. And what you see is a heart of repentance. Jesus goes after his deeply held private belief. And he says, okay, if you're the Lord, which he is, then I want to follow you into life. But many of us, we want to add Jesus to our lives. We don't want to actually conform to his way of life. But if we do this, if, you do, if you're risky enough to say, okay, Jesus, if you're inviting me into life, I'll go. Something profound, something transcendent, something otherworldly happens. And it's this. You, you get to see Jesus for who he is. And that, that gives you a great gift. Because Jesus is the great I am. He is the source of learning who I truly am. Because Jesus is the great I am, the great authority, the great God, the great one who existed, the one who's come into human history to rescue us, because that's who he is, he is now the source of learning who I truly am. So listen, I, I love you, but uh, you, you don't know who you are. And that's the, pr- that's the problem with like the whole world right now is everybody's trying to figure out who they are. And everybody's like, I don't, I don't know who I am. I don't know who I'm not. So I'm trying all these things. And the question on the college campus is, who am I? The question in the world is, who am I? Like everybody is trying to figure out who they are and who they're not. And listen, if we don't get Jesus's identity right, we will never get our identity right. So you, you go, how do I know who I am? By further knowing who Jesus is. How do I get clarity on my identity? By getting further clarity on Jesus's identity. And the more you can see who he is, the more you can know who you are. And I know we are in a world right now that is like in in an influx of personality quizzes and profiles and tests. And frankly, I love them all. And I've taken them all. And I'd love to talk to you about it later. Like I love the Myers-Briggs test. I love the DISC test. Uh, I love the Enneagram. That's a little horoscopy, whatever. Like I love it. I'm in. Taking it. I'm down. Uh, I've taken which Harry Potter house do you should you belong to? got Ravenclaw and Gryffindor. Took it twice. Kind of want to be Gryffindor. Maybe I skewed the test. I don't know, but I went for it. That's Harry Potter's house for you m- muggles that don't know what's going on, okay? <laughs> he was Gryffindor. I want to be that too, but I'm probably Ravenclaw. We can talk later. Not Hufflepuff, as you can see. Though the huffle I've gone too far on this. The Hufflepuff are great. Uh, they're, they're probably the best of us all, but that's not me. I've taken which Parks and Rec character quiz are you? I tested John Ralphio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, on one hand, I was like so ashamed of myself. On the other hand, I was like so proud. I'm like, John Ralphio, total chaos. I love it. My wife took it and tested Ron Swanson. So that, <laughs> it's like, I knew I liked you. I knew it. Like, this is why, this is why we're married. I love you. But, but listen, th- these are great, and we should laugh, and, and we should talk about it. Like, these are great. But wh- why do you like those tests? Because you like knowing who you are, and you like talking about who you are, and you want to know people. This, this is good. God designed it this way. This is a good thing. But, but I have to submit to you lovingly, like, nothing will teach you who you are better than a relationship with Jesus. Nothing will teach you who you are. And every one of those tests should lead you to further submit to Jesus for who he is. And if I can push on those tests a little bit, here's what I would say. If your reference for self-discovery is you, and all those tests reference you as the one who gets to define you. If your reference for self-discovery is you, you will always be led astray. But if your reference for self-discovery is Jesus, then you can be led into worship, which is actually a step towards who you really are. As a worshiper of a glorious God who has made himself known in Christ. And so that's what's happening inside of you that you most want to know about. And that's what Jesus offers. When he says, I am who I am in that he's saying, I know who you are because I'm the one that created you. And I'm the one that drew near to you. Uh, there's a quote by Blaise Pascal, where he says this, he says, not only do we know God through Jesus Christ alone, but we know ourselves through Jesus Christ alone. Not only has God made a way for us to know him in his son, Jesus, he's made a way for us to know himself and his son, Jesus. And so you can only know yourself in light of Christ. And so you go, Josh, what do you mean? Uh, Here's what I mean. If you think too highly of yourself, go look at Jesus for a while. If you think you're above serving in some task and you're like, no, that's beneath me. Go look at Jesus and how he served. If you're really insecure and you don't feel like you've been gifted to do anything, go go get to know Jesus a little bit and let him bring security and knowledge into your life. If you're really angry all the time, you like walk the streets at like a nine, you're like ready to go all the time. Like go look at Jesus for like a while. And bring it down a notch, John Ralphio. Like, like stop. That's me, right? Um, I'm confessing my own stuff as I talk about this. Like, go look at Christ. If you go, man, my mental state is a mess. Like, I have anxiety that's gripping me, and I feel uh, just a ton of insecurity in my mind, and like, I'm emotionally really unstable. Go, go look at Jesus. Cast your cares on Jesus. He will show you who you really are. And that, that claim that Jesus makes when he says before Abraham was, I am in that claim, he is saying something about himself and he is saying something about us. And if we catch what he's saying about himself, and if we catch what he's saying about us, it it is, it is life changing, transformational kind of stuff, because here's what's happening. If Jesus is the great I am, then we are the great I am not. And that's great news. If Jesus is the great I am then we are the great I am not. And that is great news. That is great news. And and here's why. Admitting we are not God, not in control, not running anything, not responsible for everyone's well-being, not the solution for everything and everyone, not at the center of all things. Admitting that, it does not belittle us. It sets us free. Like the moment you can realize who you're not, you start to be set free. Listen, there are limitations on our lives and that is good news. So here's how it plays out. Um, You can stop fighting to be in control of everything when you realize you're not the one in control. You can stop being anxious for everything when you realize it all isn't dependent upon you. You can stop trying to provide for yourself with all the pressure that comes with that, when you realize God is the one that provides, God is the one that's in control. God is the one who's never anxious. If you're you're really churchy, like you can stop trying to be everyone's good shepherd and you need to start sending people to the good shepherd because you can't sustain that. You are not the good shepherd, he is. If you're more apostolic, let's go for it. Listen to me. The, the, the forward movement of the kingdom of God is not relying upon you. You are not the apostle. He is. So relax. Jesus is the great apostle. Jesus is the good shepherd. Quit trying to be the bread of life that takes care of everyone and nourishes everyone and satisfies everyone and does everything for everyone. You are not the bread of life. He is. You are not the way, the truth, and the life. Stop walking the streets and going online, trying to debate everyone about Jesus like you're going to get him there. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one that can take care of this stuff. The more we can see who we are not, the more we are set free to look at him for who he is. And that's great news. So, So to say it all in a sentence, stop with the Savior complex. You have a Savior. You have the great I am. You don't have to be your savior. You don't have to fight to do everything for everyone. You and I can take a breath because it's not on us. It's on him. If before Abraham was, he was, then he's the authority on the subject. He's the one that can take care of us. He knows what's going on. You and I can look to him to see who we are. And that's the great risk of identity theft is that when you steal Jesus's identity from him, you actually steal your identity from yourself and you get him wrong. You get yourself wrong. So what we want to see in our church is people more zealous for who they are in Christ and people more zealous of where they land on a personality profile, but ultimately where they're being transformed into the likeness of Christ And what we want to see is people who are zealous for recognizing there is a line that they don't need to cross. There is a line that says, you're not that and stop crossing the line into the the world of the savior. And, And so just to ask you two questions to close, here's, here's the questions. Who are you not that you're trying to be? Who are you not that you're trying to be? You go, I'm trying to be the one in control. Okay. You're not the one in control. I'm trying to be the one that shepherds. Okay. You're not give that over. I'm trying to be the one that like provides for it. Okay. You're not. What is your temptation? Who are you not that you're trying to be? And then secondarily, who are you that you've forgotten that you need to be reminded of today? So it's not like God says, Hey, you're on the sidelines. I'm going to do this all my own. No, no, no. He he has a beautiful picture here of let me do the saving. Let me do the heavy lifting, but I want to invite you to participate. And so where in your life do you need to be reminded of who you are in Christ? And where in your life do you need to say, God, I need to be reminded that because of who you are, I can be bold. God, because of who you are, I don't have to be insecure. God, because of who you are, I can cast my anxiety on you. God, because of who you are and because of, of, of that leading and informing who I am, that I can move forward on some stuff. So, so, so lovingly, where do, you, where do you need to back off? Where do you need to let go? Because you're in the savior world. And then where do you need to step forward? Because God's called you to some stuff you're not walking in. Because if he really is who he says he is, then he really knows who you are. And he knows where you need to back off and he knows where you need to step forward. So take a breath in these areas and give over and trust God and let him be God. And in these areas, take a breath and step forward in faith saying, God, I know that you've called me to this. God, I want to be reminded of this. Jesus is the great I am. He is infinitely worthy of our worship and he has done an incredible job at saving us. So if you're a believer in this place, trust him to not just be savior, but to be the good shepherd, to be the provider, to be the one in control and allow him to do what he's good at and allow him to inform you of who you are. And the nearer we get to Jesus and the more closely we see Jesus and the more we get to see who he is, the nearer we will get to our own identity. And the more we will want to be transformed to be like him because sin has affected everything and Jesus has made a way for us to know him. And that is great news. So let's move forward in that and worship Jesus because he's infinitely worthy of that. Let's pray together. father, we thank you for your word that tells us who you are. And God, we thank you that your word doesn't have to be changed every day or moved every month, that your word doesn't run like a news cycle, but God, your word is an unchanging, glorious truth that we all need to live in, live under. And God, your word tells us, your word tells us that you are infinite. You existed before the world began you are in control, you've asked us to conform to you, God. But God, if we're really honest, there are places where we are absolutely trying to be you. There are places in our lives where we are acting like God. And Father, tonight I pray that we would repent of those things. that we'd look at our relationships and we'd say, God, I I repent. I'm I'm trying to be you in this relationship or God. We'd look at our finances and say, God, I repent. I'm trying to do everything in this and I need to trust you to do it. Or God, we'd look at the people around us that, that we're trying to be everything for those people. And we'd say, God, we repent. You're the good shepherd. And God, you would show us where we are acting in disobedience because we're not those things. But God, I also pray that we'd find in ourselves the places where you've asked us to step forward in faith and to trust that you are the great I am. So God, help us on both of these fronts. Help us to repent and help us to believe. Help us to repent and help us to believe. And God the Father, we thank you that you revealed yourself in the Old Testament as being Yahweh. And God the Son, we thank you that you came to this world and shown yourself in Christ. And God the Spirit, we thank you that we know God the Father because of God the Son and because you, Spirit, you did something in our hearts that we couldn't do. So we trust you, Lord. We wanna trust you as the authority over things. God, show us the place in our life where we are just considering your word, not obeying your word. God, show us the places in our lives where where we want to be identified with you, but not inconvenienced by you. God, show us the places in our lives where we are acting like we are driving. And God, allow us to release those over to you. And let us do that with great joy. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.